0: Welcome, adventurers. To travel the roads within the Barata province is generally safe, unless one has asked the wrong questions. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents Tales from the Dungeon There, I told you," Rianox said, looking up to Mela. Mela was not looking back, but instead down at Colborne, who lay on the ground. A trickle of blood ran out the corner of his mouth into his beard. His eyes, having just fluttered open, looked distant at first, confused but they had turned to Rianach's chin and then to Mela's intent stare. Mela could see by the shifting expression on his face that he was piecing the last few minutes back together. And then a flash of realization, and he struggled to roll to one side, reaching a hand under his back. Rianox pushed him gently back down, pulling his arm away. Calm, cold one, she said. You were a few steps closer to Grian's hall than we'd prefer." So stop flopping around like a fish, or you'll pump the last bit of blood out of ye and begin the trip anew. Colborne looked at Rianok again, and then back to Mela, whose concern was beginning to tinge with anger. What are you mad at me for? We was just talking a minute before, Then black. Mela's angry expression flared, then broke into concern, a tear forming at the corner of her eye. You were... you died... Colborne's already pale face turned an a natural shade of white. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, Rianok said standing. Stopped breathing a bit. Your heart may have taken a brief break, but Rianok is here, and so are you. The halfling looked again on Mela, an unreadable expression on her face. You do owe this one some thanks. Stood over your body and fought like a demon. Mela looked for the first time at Rianok meeting her deep blue gaze, flushed and then looked back down at Colborne. The dwarf was struggling again to sit up. Mela helped him. A little more lucid, he looked around. His concern grew as he took in his surroundings. Mela wasn't surprised. His eyes passed completely over Rianok for the first time. She bled from a wound on her upper arm. Mela bled as well. Something had nicked her neck and her right thigh was covered in blood. In the falling light of day, Ketri stood a few paces away in the center of the road, an axe gripped firmly in each hand, good eye staring west into the gimlin woods. The half-orc was covered in blood from her waist to the top of her shaved head. It was always difficult to tell at the end of any given fight how much blood was hers and how much was the enemy's. On the ground around her were several bodies. Dark cloaks and dark leather armor adorned the fallen. Farther to the north, a figure was coming down the road, sword still in hand. The plate armor was tinted orange in soul setting light. Sarkeesian. Mela saw Colborne began to look in a panicked uncertainty from companion to companion, and then around in all directions, he rolled with a groan, forcing his metallic legs to assist him in his standing. Mela steadied him. He looked to her in fear. Colfin, he whispered. Mela, finally comprehending his fear, quickly squeezed his hand and spoke. He is fine, looking for tracks in the forest. Colborne slouched in relief. What happened? He queried in exhaustion. Ambush. By these thugs, killers, assassins. Sarkeesian's voice came from behind, having arrived just in time to hear the question. Apparently inquiries about a green scarab come with consequences, even if we didn't learn anything new. Sarkeesian squatted down, wiping her blade on a cloak of one of the fallen, before resheathing the sword. She looked at the dispatched and then to her companions. Eyes lingering for a moment longer on Colborne in concern. She stood. We are in no shape to keep traveling. Ketri, go with Mela and Colborne to the edge of the wood and wait for Colfin. When he is out, tell him we need to find a place to make camp. Ketri nodded in reply. Sarkesian turned to Rianok. Your arm good enough to help me search through these? See if we can find anything of interest. She said with a wave to the cloaked assailants. Riyanak rolled her injured arm dismissively, muttering, Yes, mother. Sarkeesian's face turned steely, eyes focusing a hard stare on Riyanak. Her voice was quiet, but it carried a tone Mela had never heard. My name is Sarkeesian. Do not call me mother. Riyanak dropped her eyes, muttering again. Surprisingly, The mutters continued, with pauses in between, almost as in a conversation with an unheard voice. All equally stunned by Sarkeesian's uncharacteristic tone. No one moved. Her stare still fell unmoving upon Rianach, who after one last exasperated mutter, in which cinder may have been the only recognizable word, looked back up. A toothy smile appeared, and then she placed both of her hands over her mouth. And then extended them toward Sarkeesian in a gesture of submission and apology. I meant no offense, my friend and mentor. Cinder's whispers dribble out my lips at times. Sarkeesian stared a moment longer, and then her face thawed. She kneeled again and began to rifle through the cloak of the person before her. The moment passed. Ketri turned her gaze upon Mela and Colborne, jerked her head toward the tree line. Mela placed her arm around Colborne's back, pulling his arm over her shoulders, and they started shakily away from the road. Mela looked over Colborne's resting form at the flickering cook fire. Colfin stirred the pot that hung above it, occasionally adding a fistful of this or a pinch of that. Sarkeesian squatted next to the cook, chopping ingredients at his direction, passing them over as he asked. She didn't know what it was, but it smelled delightful. Her stomach growled. Mela truly believed that Colfin could prepare, season, and serve a stick that she would find irresistible. In the eight months she had traveled with them, he had not served a single dish she did not wish there was more of when she had finished. Below her, Colborn stirred. Eyes opening. She looked down at him and smiled. Smells good, he said as he struggled to prop himself up on one elbow. They sat some three paces from the fire. Colfin liked his room when he cooked. Despite this, Rhiannock sat very near the fire, whittling a stick, just far enough to be out of reach of Colfin's arm length, plus the length of a wooden spoon. Ketri, having washed the carnage off in the same small stream they had all used to wash their wounds, was using that as an excuse to sit near the fire as well. Have to dry, She said in response to Colfin's glare. She tentatively extended her hands toward the fire. Colfin had grunted and returned to cooking. A contented smile came to Ketri's face as Colfin looked away. She even risked scooting closer still to the fire to take in its warmth and inhale the promise of Colfin's culinary wizardry. Should be ready soon, Mela said to Colborn. She reached out, holding his hand. He made no mention of it, letting it happen. Mela turned her head again to look upon her companions crowded around the fire. Unaware, a small smile crept onto her face as she looked on each of them. Her gaze lingered on Rianach. Her red hair in the firelight was mesmerizing. She wasn't quite sure how long she'd been staring when Rianok looked up. The halfling looked back, tilting her head curiously. Mayla quickly shifted her glance away. Her attention went to Sarkeesian. The smile left her face, brow furrowing in consideration. After all their time together, she would say she understood Sarkeesian the least, but trusted her second only to Colborne. The interaction on the road between her and Rianok was a curious one. "'What's got your face, in muss? Colborne said quietly, so his voice would not carry to the fire. Mela kept her attention on Sarkesian. What did have her concerned? She herself wasn't even quite sure what the question was. Not that Mela was widely traveled until the last eight months, but she had never come across another named Sarkesian. The name must be old.' from a far-off land. Sarkeesian didn't look or speak any different than many she had seen. Only partially aware, she spoke out loud. Such an odd name. Colborne followed the line of her gaze. Sarkesian. A pause to wait for Mela to contradict his assumption. But when she didn't. It right is an old name. A name not many would dare to bear. The statement drew Mela's attention back to Colborne. Why? Mela said in concerned curiosity. You've likely never heard of the Order of Soul, he asked, again waiting for confirmation. Mela shook her head in the negative. No, still, after all this time, not many speak of it. An order dedicated to Gorion, dedicated to the protection of those in need, dedicated to ending those people and creatures that would seed the world with evil. He paused. Mela's face remained confused. He continued. The order was prominent, well-known, and respected throughout the land. Colborne shifted himself up with Mela's help, propping his back against a log. He cast his eyes toward the fire, making sure the occupants were not looking their way, before leaning in closer to Mela, voice dropping just above a whisper. The ruins we passed just yesterday, east of the last road. He paused waiting for Mela to nod. Those were once known as the citadel, of home to the Order of Soul. The Order rode far and wide throughout the province, offering protection, hunting down threats. And then one night, almost a hundred and fifty years ago, the Order was all but wiped out. Mela's eyes went wide. How? Why? Colborne's eyes darted to the fire, and then back. Now that's just it. "'Neither question has an answer that many can agree on. "'All agree the fortress fell in a single night, "'but after that historians argue on just about every single detail. "'Every part of the fortress that could be burned was. Rumors say there were many fewer bodies found at the fortress than should have been, "'and those that were found were torn to shreds, with claws and teeth, "'almost as if by animals.' but it was said that the claws rended metal. No animal could do what was reportedly done at the citadel. Mela's breath was shallow, hanging on every word Colborne spoke, but none ever took credit for the attack. Dragons, weird beasts, ghouls, even vampires have been blamed. Mela shivered. Whomever did the deed, the after effect is why few speak of the order any longer. The Order had acted as a shield for the province for years untold. For many years after their fall, those in the outskirts of the province suffered. Thieves, brigands, unspeakable creatures of all kinds preyed on the province. Travel was unsafe. Trade faltered. It was a dark time. How was it the Order's fault that they were destroyed? Ah, but that's just it, Coborn replied. Many blamed the Order for what followed saying if it was not for the order these evils would have never come to the province, that each village would have had its own protection, not relied on the strength of the order, that the order was too zealous in seeking out evil, provoking wrath, and that the retribution was the result of their actions, as if the order had kicked the proverbial bee's nest and then was not there to protect the province from the consequences. Mela frowned. Also, I said, almost wiped out. There were reported to be a few survivors of the night's attack, members of the Order not at the Citadel. What happened to them? Mela asked. It is said they ran, that they hid, even as the province fell into a period of darkness and unrest. Why would they do that? Colborne shrugged. But that is why almost none will claim to belong to the Order, even to this day. The name still leaves a bitter taste in the mouths of many. Many. Mela's face worked with questions, trying to process the sad tale. If the order was never needed, why did they form? You said they were well respected. And none of what you told me explains the name Sarkeesian. Grandmother Sarkesian of the Everlight. Colborne and Mela, head but inches apart for most of their conversation, both jumped. A pace away stood Sarkesian with two bowls. She was so often in her plate armor, it was easy to forget how quiet she could be when she had taken it off. Grandmother Sarkeesian was the leader of the Order of Soul on the day that it fell. Mela stared in curiosity and a tinge of fear, not knowing how much she had heard or how she might react. Sarkeesian took a step and placed the two bowls down for them to eat. As she turned to return to the fire, she said, And as to the why was the order of soul formed, there is but one word. Along with Mela, all had stopped and were looking at Sarkeesian. She sat down by the fire, dishing herself a bowl. For a moment it seemed as if she would leave her prior statement unfinished. She scooped some stew and sniffed it. And then, before putting the spoonful in her mouth, she said the word, Zaralfus. Mela was confused by the response. Rianach laughed out loud. Colfin gave a disappointed grunt, and Ketri's posture, stiff with anticipation, returned to life as she shook her head slightly, as if she had heard some bad joke. Sarkeesian swallowed the mouthful, and then, for the second time that day, turned a steely look, first upon Rianach. The mirth left the halfling's face, then on Colfin, who actually stopped chewing, not sure where to look. Finally, the gaze was turned on Ketri, who smiled nervously, eye flicking first to Rianok, who was now looking at her feet, and then to Colfin, who dared a small shrug. Ketri looked back to Sarkeesian. Zarophis? It's just a legend. A story used to scare children. Sarkeesian's look lost none of its severity. Is it... What is the Zarlphus of which Sarkeesian speaks? And why does she hold fear where others see but a myth? Stay tuned next week for part two of A Story of Names and Myths.